Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Join me today. He's the founder and CEO of Red Dye Imports and Hair Made in India. It's Rocky Kendola. How are you doing today, Rocky? I'm doing very well. How are you doing, brother? I'm doing good. Thank you for joining us on the show. I'm excited to learn more about your Rise to the Challenge. First, we're going to start right at the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? Got it. So I was born in the Bronx, New York. Um, as you might have read a little bit, I was kind of, I kind of grew up all over the world. So um, it's hard for me to call one exact place my home. Uh, my family is in between UK, Canada, India, and New York and, and uh, Mississippi and Alabama. Um, as a kid, you know, I was a tennis player. At starting at three years old, my mom got me out with a plastic racket and a ball and started hitting around. And um, uh, that's I fell in love with tennis way back then. Um, I've always been an outdoor kid, you know, love going by the river, fishing and playing around outside, sports, uh, soccer, basketball, tennis. Um, yeah, that's kind of like my early, early childhood uh, starting out just like that. We uh, were in New York for a couple of years and quickly moved to Ohio where my brother and sister were born. Uh, from there, my father took the family down south to follow a career opportunity. And that's kind of where we spent the next little bit of time down there. Out of all the places that you've lived, where is the one place that you kind of felt at home or you kind of learned more about yourself? That's a good question. Um, so as far as the home part of the question, I literally truly feel at home kind of anywhere I go around the world as long as I kind of have a certain few things, which is like good vibes, good people. And, you know, I I'm, I'm have the ability, the freedom to, to travel around and explore the area. Where I've learned the most about myself almost biting my tongue saying it but like in the places where I've been through the most which is down south uh, Mississippi Alabama um, I learned a lot about me there I learned a lot I grew a lot there I learned a lot about life and people there I um, mean on the same hand though when I traveled went away for the first time as an adult to India um, and I was kind of alone and starting a new life I learned a lot about the real me and not not the me that you know society and, and different kind of things put on you uh, so it's kind of both of them on both sides. You mentioned Mississippi, and I actually got an opportunity for work to go down to Mississippi and start something there. And it's definitely two different worlds, in a way, from where I am in Missouri to Mississippi. And you mentioned about people in society. And when I went down there, I'm being called sir all the time. It's just everyone's so polite. And I'm not saying people in Missouri don't do that, but it's kind of like, it's kind of nice in a way. Like everyone's so friendly and... I just easily made friends and everyone that I worked with was just so nice. And Mississippi is like a place I definitely want to go back to um, because I didn't get to fully experience it. What brought you to tennis? You said that your mom gave you a plastic racket, but as you were growing up playing the sport, was there someone that you kind of admire in the game or was it just the opportunity there? So um, I admired like, you know, Agassi, Sampras, Mark Filipoupis, uh, a lot of those guys. And I actually got to go visit and, you know, for summers at Harry Hopkins Tennis Camp, which Pete Sampras played at, and Nick Boletari's, which uh, Andre Agassi played at, I got to play three courts down from Agassi, being coached by Mr. Nick Boletari on, the, like, the top five courts. Um, started, I'm really I'm competitive by nature, and tennis is really like a one-on-one, man-to-man sport where, you know, you have to use your, your, your brains, your mental, your physical, your technical skills, and, you know, defeat your opponent, basically. And, um... I, didn't, I wasn't really naturally good. You know, I had to practice a lot until I got to a certain level. And um, I liked it. I just, uh, around my hometown, everyone was playing basketball, football. My parents didn't really want me to play football because they were Indian. They're like, oh, no, you're going to get hurt, blah, blah. So, you know, tennis was tennis it was. And then uh, my coaches, um, Mike Joyce and Hap Davis from Pascagoula, Mississippi, amazing, amazing spirits, amazing souls, beautiful coaches, uh, mentors for me at that age as well, you know, guided me as best as they could back then. And, you know, they really sparked everything in me. I remember waking up before school and playing and practicing, going after school to play with a, a clinic with a group. Then after the clinic, I would do another private lesson. And then at nighttime, Coach Mike would have me pushing his truck on the driveway, calling out nay, like, like songs and stuff like that while I was working, like working out basically. So. Was that a sport where you kind of got to build a skill set so, like, your family was like, okay, he actually can push himself in a way, in a positive direction? Definitely. I mean, and once again, like, I think they recognized that. They, they were happy. My, my father's always been pretty critical, but, you know, they're, they're the ones that actually brought me to all these tournaments that allowed me to get, you know, top 10 ranking in the South and, and so on. Uh, however, that was also my main punishment growing up was uh, if I ever got in trouble, I'd get tennis taken away. 
Um, and I hated that. Um, and, you know, I got sent around so much that I never got to stay at one school very long. But, you know, like I said, they were traditional Indian back then. They really wanted me to study and, uh, you know, have an academic career versus any kind of physical or sports career. So it was kind of... During the time of growing up, did you find any other passions or were you just strictly focused on tennis? At a young age, it was tennis, man. I was that kid in school with short shorts, a different tennis tournament shirt every day, glasses, braces, you know, like tennis shoes. And that was what I wore to school every day. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I luckily didn't have to have braces, but that, that was definitely at the younger age. It's like everyone had that or a retainer or the glasses. Oh, man. <laughs> What were the challenges and obstacles that you faced growing up? So um, growing up, I, I, around 11 years old, you know, my, I started getting into my dad a lot. Um, I, was, I talked back a lot. I was pretty rebellious. I was pretty outspoken. Even my teachers, you know, I would never have to study. And, you know, I would just take a test and get, you know, finish it before anybody in the class and turn it in. And everybody in the class would be like, oh, there's like a walking F or something like that. I remember that happened in third grade. And I actually got 100 on the test. And... I would get kind of cocky about it and just kind of like, you know, not really want to be in class, want to walk around this and that. And um, so my father at around 11, 11 or 12 years of age, sent me to India and he wanted me to have like a cultural experience. I think he said back then, but you know, later in life, he basically told me, he was like, you were too much to deal with right now. So he sent you to live in India. And I mean, in India, I, uh, you know, I, I traveled the country alone as well, you know, hopped on trains and went to go play tennis tournaments on the other side of the country. I had like a family kind of nearby watching over me a little bit. I was going to school out there. I actually enjoyed it. You know, it was, it, it sucked because at that age, I, I missed my friends and my, my family and everything. Um, but, you know, it wasn't really anything I look back on that hurts me, I guess, or that causes pain. It was like, back then it was tough. Now I look back and smile about it. Um, but, you know, after I got back shortly, I was home for a little bit. And uh, my father started teaching me how to drive at a very young age. So I got in the habit of sneaking his car out at night and like going to Taco Bell and doing random things like that with friends. I would like hop out the window, jump through the bushes put the car in neutral, push it down the driveway and just go ride around. And uh, <laughs> eventually, yeah, that's, uh, that's crazy. I was, I, I was a big 11, 12 year old though. So I was like, I looked a little, I looked close to 15, 16 at that age. Um, Were you trying to grow up fast or what caused the rebellious side with your family? It was more like a little bit of the rebellion at that age and time. Like it, it wasn't so much rebellious as it was um, explorative. I, I, I felt like I was always at a, at a, at a point inside my mind and my body where like, I want to see the world. I know like I, I, this kid life is not all there is. There's a lot more out there and I want to go see it. And that's kind of like what kind of sparked that in me. When I got sent to my next place, which was a boot camp in Mexico, um, I, got, I got pulled over one night when I was in the car. After I went there, which was like a strict regimented place that had, sorry, all kind of... Um, Sorry, all kind of things happen, you know, with, with kids from child abuse to trauma to rape and physical torture and all kind of things. Um, after that, you know, as when I really got a much more of a rebellious type of nature. So would you say the boot camp maybe didn't help at all? Or were you still trying to be rebellious to a strict system that these boot camps have? Yeah, I mean, uh, so I'm not the type of person that you can scare or hit. Or, you know, I mean, do that intent to make me change or listen. Uh, so I, I would say the boot camps, my parents would say that if they didn't send me there, I would be dead or have all my bones in my body broken. I tell them nicely, like, you know, I disagree with you. I think I'd have been okay. I'd have found my way. Um, so I don't think that necessarily helped. But, I mean, at this age now, like, I do realize the value of that, those experiences. They made me who I am today. Um, and, you know, I, I still have a lot of pain from them. Like, I wake up with really bad dreams a lot stemming from that boot camp. I've been to some very dark places recently as well in my life when, you know, I've been writing about my, my past and stuff where those boot camp times where, you know, I really had to talk about it. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't say to help. Those places, the WWASP, the Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs, uh, Paris Hilton re recently has done a documentary about them as well. Um, they're horrible places, you know, to send a child to, uh, to try to, you know, help them, quote unquote. Um, and you know, I faced all the above from getting kicked, you know, down a hallway and had my feet and hands tied behind my back. Uh, for a couple of days at a time to, you know, the, the, the mental stuff of standing outside in the rain at two o'clock in the morning, being woken up in the middle of the night, not having, you know, proper food and not being allowed to talk to anybody or, or communicate with anybody at all. Um, it was a pretty, pretty crazy time. And I think that when I got out, I went to two of those places between 12 and 17, plus a Catholic boarding school and a military school all in between there. And um, by the time I was out, I was so rebellious. I was so like, 
one, I was a little bit cocky. I was like, I went through all this stuff and I'm still here. I'm still standing. And two, I was like, no one's taking away my ability to do whatever I want to do as a, as a, as a grown man now. And, you know, at 17 is when I graduated and that's when I started college as well. So by the time I started, I was fully into selling drugs, partying girls every other day, um, you know, as much as I could do to be a man at that point <laughs> as I thought I was, you know. Going through those situations, did you kind of have that moment or doubt, like, I don't know if I can handle this anymore, like being tied up and all of that? Or were you trying to, as we say, rise to the challenge and try to make it to the next day and try to see maybe it'll get better or I can get back to living my life the way I want to live it? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about me. I think I'm very adaptable. I remember that I definitely had moments where I was scared. Like when I first came there, and they take you to the back and strip your clothes down and shave your head and start screaming at you. Like I was definitely had moments where I was scared, but I always remember like being able just to get into the flow pretty easily and just like, okay, now what do I have to do to get out of here? Like what's, what's the next step? What's going to happen? How do I make sure that I, I'm, I'm heading towards, you know, getting beyond this. And that kind of did become a pattern for me in my life. Whenever I would get into situations that were, were horrible or you know, I didn't want to be in, I was like a week or so, maybe I'd be like, down or like like sad or scared wherever it was and then it's just like snap like okay rock let's let's get out of this let's get through this let's get past it let's figure a way out to not feel like this and have to be in this anymore and i mean as an adult looking back thinking on it i can i can verbalize this and articulate it back then it was pretty much natural my body just it's instinct you know instead of like whatever else i could do just you know break down and or whatever i, I would just try to get out of it i mean I'm, that's not to say like i was just a strong amazing kid like i had plenty of moments probably like where i was very scared. I mean, I, I had dreams where I woke up there. I got my ass beat a good few times. You know, I got all kind of stuff there. And I mean, I'm sure that a few of those times sprinkled in between there, I was, you know, doubtful of, you know, you know hey, am I going to be able to get past this? I'm not sure. I read my journals and it sounds like a 50-year-old man because I'm a lot of times in my journals talking about, man, I wish I just wasn't here anymore. I wish I was gone, you know, like, and not by not being in the program, like not being on earth type of thing at a very young age. So looking back at during that time and kind of doing a reflection now, what would you think would have been the best strategy to help you maybe break those habits that could have led you to a more positive track? I'm a big believer in communication. Um, you know, and it was my, my father was a physician. He was at work a lot. My mom was there and tried to talk to me, but I think at that point I did need like a, my dad to like, you know, talk to me more and um, communication and love. But I mean, I was, I was a tough kid to deal with, you know, given that um, nowadays there's a lot more out there for parents, you know, like programs and big sister, big brother type of things and really places that they can take someone to after school and, and sit there and talk with them and, and more counseling, more like more uh, research on counseling and stuff like that as well. Um, as far as my case, I, I think back then it just had to go the way I had to go. Uh, but maybe if they pulled me in, like just, you know, spend a little more time and just started talking more like, and I know they tried, I know I'm, I'm not that they tried so many things, you know, like to try to help me out and get me on the path they wanted. Uh, but, you know, that wasn't the path for me. That was, I had a different path and, and that was the kind of the path that I went on. And you know, if, if I were to have broken all bones and, and died, like, I mean, that, that would have been unfortunate for everybody involved. But I mean, I just can't ever believe that that, that path was ever even a possibility for me. Cause I mean, if it was, I don't think I'd be here. I think that might've happened. I was, I wasn't a lot of crazy situations, you know, from a young age all the way up till six years ago. So what was that dream job that you wanted, like, during this time? I wanted to be a tennis pro. I wanted to play professional tennis. That was my, my one thing. When I was a really, really little kid, my mom told me I wanted to be an astronaut. Um, didn't really remember that those days too much. But uh, ever since I could remember playing tennis for – even when I was in that last boot camp, I was like – I had dreams. Like, I want to get out and start practicing again and go play tennis. But then, you know, college started and this and that. And even myself, I, when I had the chance to go play tennis, I was like, oh, I think I'd rather go to this party over here – and smoke a little bit of this and drink a little bit of that. <laughs> That's not really conducive to being a tennis pro, you know, so. Would you say that in your pursuit through education that the kind of the party lifestyle took away from what your dreams were wanting? And maybe was it the people that you were being around influenced those decisions to be made? I mean, surely, like, um, I remember I've never given up on a tournament. I've never... So I've never, ever, ever had a tennis tournament. And I remember somewhere around 17, 18, I was playing in a tournament. It was the first time it ever happened. And I remember I smoked a lot of weed and, and had a party the day before that. I didn't give the matchup, but I just kind of I kind of gave it away, like, playing loosely because I was like, man, I, I don't feel good. 
I remember kind of thinking then, I was like, man, like, tennis is out for you, Rocky. Like, might as well think of something else. And I never, it took me 10 years to even think of anything else to do from that point, literally 10 years from like 17, 18 to 27, 28. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, a hundred percent, the crowd I was with at that time, I don't, I disconnected from them completely. You know, when I kind of made my first changes in my life, I don't hang around those kind of people. I don't see them anymore. And not to say they're bad people, you know, just uh, the, the situations and, and the, the goals and the, the things they wanted to do were, um, we're just not aligned, you know, with who I am now and what I wanted to be to get to this point. Um, so like when I did make, you know, a couple of changes in my life, that was pretty much the first thing that went, I was, I had like a, str- a good identity build. I had been in and out of prison already. I had a group of people that looked up to me and I had street credit from going to prison, whatever you want to call it. Um, I had a girlfriend all set in the same hometown, had a nice place and I just left all of it disconnected from every bit of it. And um, that's when I, that was seven years ago or so, seven or eight maybe years ago. And that's when I really started to first, for the first time intentionally, consciously and for myself, change my life. So how long was that kind of lifestyle that you were living with the partying, the drugs, the alcohol, the kind of, and which led to going to prison? Uh, 14 to 26, wow. 13 to 14 to 26 is so had a nice little run. But. Was it hard financially? I mean, living that lifestyle because that's all, I mean, unless you're dealing stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I was selling a lot of drugs. Not a lot of drugs. I was selling. My dad would give me a little bit of money here and there, and I would always take that, go buy more stuff, come back to a different town, sell it there for a double price. Um, and I was, I was a crazy little kid. I did all kind of stuff for money to get money, selling anything. I used to buy Jordans and hats and perfume and stuff from New York, kind of spring break, sell them there. We used to – okay. Um, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, we were – like I said, I was just basically just doing anything, you know, to, to get money, and I would get a little bit, you know, money here and there from my dad, and then I would take that and go buy different legal and illegal substances and, and go resell them. Like uh, spring break, we'd, we'd get all kind of different things and uh, go go up and sell them and, and come back to the city and, and kind of just, just, you know, do our best to just make money and – uh, you know, a lot of it was illegal, X pills, drugs, Coke, this and that, this and that. We'd even like sprinkle Coke on fake estrogen pills from Walmart and sell that to spring breakers. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it crazy. I was, I was crazy back then. Crazy, totally crazy. So, Prior to going through all that, did you know like how serious those items are and what the effects could ha- happen to you? Or were you just like in that mindset of, well, I'm just going to risk it. Like, I don't care at this moment. It didn't really even feel like a risk back then. I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't know what was totally going through my head. I was just like, I, I didn't think too many of the, much of the consequences. I knew it was illegal. And I knew I couldn't just walk up to a cop like, hey, I have these things, you know, like, I know I had to be careful about it. But now I love the thrill of it, I guess, at that point. It was like a rush almost, you know, to, to get away with it, to, to go sell something to somebody and, and, you know, do something illegal and not get caught for it until obviously I got caught for it, so. This might be a weird, like, reflecting on that situation. Did you kind of feel like you're finding a new path in, like, entrepreneurial area with it? Because you're buying a product, you're marketing it up, you're making money off of it. I know it's not like, oh, I did this with these serious drugs and stuff, and I mean, it's, but it's true. I mean, it's kind of a way that you kind of learned the business in a way. Exactly. I mean, rewind a couple of years and I was also the kid that like traded baseball cards, had lemonade stands, would, you know, go cut grass around the neighborhood. Um, you know, like, so I definitely agree. Like I, I said, this a lot. And like, I think that everything we go through in our lives, everything we do all happens for a reason. And it all comes together and shows you what that reason is sometime later on in life. And I agree hundred percent. I mean, it's funny. Like when I sell, when I first started selling hair extensions, I would compare it directly to the marijuana industry and as soon as I've met a client that would like know about marijuana weed, I'd be like, yes, now listen to me. If you get an ounce of this here and an ounce of this, and like you had an ounce of the, the lows and the, and the, the Reggie versus a ounce of the bad here or the good here, it's the same thing. It's different names. Different, so I would explain it like that. So, I mean, that's just like a very direct sense of it, but just being able to learn how to, to buy a product, to sell a product for hire, to market up, to, to find that clientele, to be out there, to network, to talk, to get it gone. Like there's a lot of parallels that you can be drawn from it. And, I mean, I, I tell this like a lot of people <clears throat> that I know, like a lot of my friends are prisoners as well. I'm like, guys, like, you know, what you learn from like hustling, like that can be translated to a legitimized, proper legal business very easily. You just got to want to make that change. You got to, you got to let go of the notion, the idea that, because I was addicted to the lifestyle. 
that this lifestyle is the coolest thing you can do, that you're the man and stuff like that. And that's how I felt. Like, I was the man. I was the coolest person because I had these drugs and I could get people these drugs. Like, when you let go of that and you say, you know what, instead of that, I want to build a legitimate business for myself, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's very doable. So what finally got you caught and kind of sent you to prison and to do time? Alabama State Prison, uh, there was a, a task force of the feds, the state police, and the local government all working together. Um, a little before that, a, a kid had tried to take advantage of my sister, uh, and me and my friends went and beat him up. And that kid happened to be the son of a prominent judge there. Uh, so that kind of got my name out in the, in the courthouse a little bit. Shortly after, they started kind of following me and watching me. Um, they knew that, you know, this kid, Rocky, throws these crazy parties, and he has all these cars, and he comes downtown, and, and you know, and goes drinking and stuff like that and does what he does. And uh, they did an undercover sting operation on me where they had a controlled by me selling to an undercover narcotics agent, um, a small amount of cocaine. And they caught me on that and they followed me again for a couple months and couldn't really build any more of a case on me. Um, Cause I never was like Mr. Kingpin, you know, I was more of that guy that I'm at the party. I know who has the stuff. I know you want the stuff. I can put it together. And that's kind of like, I got to be like the cool kid. Like the girls liked it. Guys wanted to be my friends because of it. People wanted to come hang out with me because of it. So I just kind of kept going down that path. And, you know, eventually that's what happened. They they caught me for that one undercover buy. And then I think they realized as well, like, oh, he's not really doing anything too much. He's just, you know, transact, making a couple of transactions. Let's go ahead and bring him in. And that's when they brought me in. And from there, it was like a year or so in jail, a year or so in rehab, two years on house arrest, probation, uh, over two years in prison, um, just nine years of my life almost, just a whirlwind of – craziness you mentioned that girls would like it guys would just want to be associated with it did you kind of think that maybe they were using you to get these items or to have fun in a way or did you kind of have that like i'm the big shot right now no one's gonna stop me and everyone just wants to be around me back then the lines kind of got blurred like i knew people wanted me for those reasons and I even used to say like man my fuck my god friends don't ever come over unless I have girls over here and I'd have like three or four girls hanging out and then you know as I got a little bit older and older those lines started to get blue I started to get confused like wait these people were like I've been around them for a while now they're always over here like they must like me you know like that's when the lines started to get blurred and, and that was a very uncomfortable position I didn't it, it actually it hurt me for later on in life because it made me like kind of like cautious of people I guess like you know like like you know what else can someone want to use you for type of thing um, but back then, like in the very beginning, I would know, you know, like, you know, this is, this is clear. This is what it is. Um, but as time went along, you know, I got more into the lifestyle, more addicted to just having that, that fake love, I guess you would call it. Um, it you're right. They 100% got blurred. So I wasn't just like, oh, I'm a big show. I'm like, I, 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 these people really like me. Like, that's, that's my friends. Like, <laughs> I think people can relate to that nowadays. I know, I, I mean, I can't relate, but just from going to college, being in a fraternity and stuff, but even when you see it anywhere in the media nowadays, it's like these people think like, oh, I'm throwing the parties. I have the alcohol. I got the drugs. I got the women. I got the guys, the boys all around. They think that they're on the top of this world and stuff. But then if you kind of look at it, it's like, are those people really your friends? Do they really want to hang out after it? Are they only coming around for just the parties? And it kind of tells you who are the true people. And I was definitely one of those that did st stayed away from that stuff because I've had family issues where alcohol and drugs were a huge thing and I just didn't want to be in that area. So like, I, I mean, yeah, when I was 21, I drank, but I didn't go to those parties. But I know situations of people where they just wanted, they wanted to live that lifestyle. But then it's kind of like you get that reality check. And I think from hearing reading or hearing your story and what I've known about you, I think you got that reality check in a way when you had the uh, task force and all that. What was the biggest thing you learned about yourself when you were going through probation, rehab, and going to prison? You know, I learned a lot from the different experiences. I mean, while I was going through all that stuff, like when I was in, on probation, I, I failed 16 piss tests for weeks. I didn't care. I was like, You're not gonna, I'm not going to listen to you. When I was in prison, I was selling uh, synthetic marijuana, spice. I was sending money back home to people. Um, so it was like, I learned a lot about me as far as when I was writing and things like that. But the, like I said before, like I'm not the type that you can just scare or like punish or hurt into changing like that. You know, like 
for me, the, the bigger learning experience from everything came closer to my time being done with everything. When I started seeing the people I hated so much, the, the POs and the COs and the judges and stuff like that, that I just could see that a shift in them. Like, they know that let me go. I could see a little more humanity from them. Like, it might have been because oh, I'm about to get out there. They want to kind of smooth things. I don't know what it was, but in my, in my opinion, in my heart, it was just that, you know, like, they didn't want me to go through that either. They didn't want to see anybody go through that. But I put myself in those situa situations and circumstances. Uh, so the biggest thing I learned totally as far as the legal aspect goes is, Rocky, like, why would you put yourself in a situation to give a chance for someone to take away your freedom and put you in a cage around, you know, a thousand people that are crazy, you know, like, uh, don't do that anymore. Like I still, like when I got out, I was still, I got right back in the lifestyle almost. Um, and it took me about a year until I finally, when I told you earlier, I went to India and started disconnected from everything. And that happened without getting in trouble. That happened. My dad came to me one day and he's a Rocky. You're not asking us for money anymore. You're not living at home. Um, I think you should maybe leave, you know, get out of the country. I'll send you to Canada, England or India. And I picked India. And, you know, that was probably one of the best decisions I made in my life. You know, I was, I was still tough after that. I still went up and down, took backward steps, had a lot of, you know, mistakes I made after that. But disconnecting that very first time, getting away, um, when I was getting right back into lifestyle pretty heavily again, um, that, if anything, probably definitely saved my life. Because um, who knows, if I'd have got caught again in Alabama for drugs, I might just be getting out today, you know, while we're on, we're on this podcast. Like the second time offenses are for the same charges there, especially with my background, the judges that knew me would have been very, very, very strict. You said that your dad gave you that chance to go make a difference. Did you kind of think, okay, I have to take this second chance opportunity because I'm still getting into that lifestyle and you were kind of worried, like, if I did go back, I could be in jail even longer. Were you kind of thankful that your parents kind of took that initiative to make that big difference for you? Right now, looking back, I very much am thankful. However, like back then when he told me, like my dad was always the one that sent me around different places my whole life that I didn't want to go, you know, the boot camps, the military schools. The way he said it this time was just totally different from anything else. He didn't even say, he asked me very, very nicely, very, very like calmly. And I thought about it, I think for a night. And then I was like, like, I, I don't know, like it wasn't, totally my decision like it was definitely a higher power of god a different energy that came and it was just like just go and i was scared i didn't know what i was gonna do i still had no idea what i was gonna do i didn't really want to change anything i don't want to like become this like new person i just wanted to not i want to do something different you know i was i was i was i guess i was tired of it you know i was looking on my shoulder i was i was you know doing things like that i now know you know what kind of consequence society gives for it and you know what the inside is like so you know all that probably played a factor uh, but at the end of the day, I think that it was just some kind of spirit that told me, like, Rocky, like, let's go. You don't need any of this you have right now. As important as you think it is, whatever the people you think they are, just go. And, you know, when I was in prison, none of my best friends, the guy friends, I had 50 guy friends that time. Nobody wrote me. Nobody wrote me a letter. Only people who wrote me a letter were random girls that I barely even knew and just, like, sending me pictures and stuff. And my dad, my mom, my brother, and my sister, they all, you know, were there for me. They came to see me. They wrote me here and there. Uh, but that's it. So when I got out, I was like, I was almost even more jaded. I didn't really have any direction. When I was in prison, I made a lot of business plans and made a lot of plans to do things. Uh, when I got out, I was still kind of dealing with the after effects and probation and this and that. So those things kind of faded into the background for a little bit of time. And I stopped thinking about them up until I went to India, which is when I implemented the business plan that I made while I was in prison. Well, it kind of goes back to what we talked about. Are those people your true friends? And how you mentioned, no one wrote to you except for the random people that showed up at these parties. And it kind of maybe had that realization where, okay, I need to definitely get away. And it kind of showed like going to India for you kind of changed the switch in a way. So talk about when you landed in India, what was, what were you um, heading towards? What was next for you? So I didn't really know. I, I landed one of my uh, friends uh, when I was in India as a kid, when my dad first sent me there, I, I brought him back to the U.S. and he actually became a citizen of the U.S. He was actually in there then. He's a party kid. So he picked me up and he took me out to India for like the first two or three nights. And I remember like one of the nights, like I got kind of the second or third, I got like kind of drunk and I called my dad like screaming, like crying. like, did you send me back? You put me on a one-way ticket. Is this what you're trying to do? You're trying to do this to me again? And my dad like really calm. He's like, no, Rocky, like I sent you there because I, I asked you if you wanted to go and you said yes. And if you want to come back home tomorrow, you can come back home tomorrow. And I just, I mean, I remember when he said that I was on the rooftop, I had a bottle of Johnny Black in my hands. I was looking over on the top of the balcony. He said that and I just breathed. I was like, okay. I guess I'm not being sent away again. I can, it's my choice right now. 
I'm not, I have my freedom. I can do what I want to do. And two days later, I went with him to his, village, his family's village in Punjab. And we spent the next month there living on the village, living on the farm, farming, working out every day, very clean lifestyle, all vegetables, good food, um, no music, no craziness, no drinking, none of that. And not really like that's what we're planning on doing. That's just, that's the lifestyle in Punjab. Very simple, very, you know, farm oriented, um, healthy. And that's what we did. And that, that really, that really jumpstarted everything for me. I really, when I left, you know, that, that area to go back to, to New Delhi later on, I was in a much better position than I was probably for the last, you know, probably maybe ever in my life. Would you say that living in that area or with those people and not having the alcohol, any of that, it was kind of maybe a personal rehab in a way. Can I see if I can live without the use of those items? Exactly. I mean, every rehab I've went to, every facility I've went to was probably altogether over 20 different ones. Like it was always forced to me. I never had a chance to do it on my own. You know, and, I, and this one I did on my own. Um, and I definitely think it was some somewhat of like a self rehab type of thing. Did you have a support system like the people that you were living with or the family you were living with kind of was there supporting you to make a big difference? They, they don't, they, they're, they, I mean, those people in Punjab, they don't really know anything about like, 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 what do you mean you're addicted to it? What do you mean you're partying? Like, what, is, what does that even mean? Like, what are you doing? Like, you're, you're crazy, bro. Just, just come sit down and hang out. Um, they're very loving people. This family, they're amazing. He's, he's a great guy. Um, but I mean, like, wouldn't like, I know what a support system is like, as far as speaking in a traditional sense of like, you know, an addiction and, and or like a, a trauma or PTSD. It wasn't like that. It was more just like a natural, just like good people around me, you know, and being on the farm every day, eating dinner with them, like watching their wedding videos, their movie reels and stuff like that, hanging out was kind of, it was just, it was cleansing. From, before that, all I had known is strip clubs, bars, guns, drugs, you know, that was it. You know, I don't I had my brain, my, my, my eyes, my ears, my nose, my mouth didn't see, taste, hear, feel anything much different. And I was okay with it at that time, but I didn't realize how much of an effect that external environmental factor was having on me internally and what, I, what choices I'm making and how I'm feeling and you know, everything. So what was next after you were living or when you were in India? When did you finally make it back to the United States? So I got a call from my cousins who came to New Delhi for a wedding and I went to meet them in New Delhi about six hours away for a wedding, which is where I met my now ex-wife. Uh, we met there. And um, when I met her, like it kind of sparked like something else in me, like, you know what, like I, I can't, I am worthy of, you know, like being with somebody and, and this could be, I want, I do like, I've always like, I'm an Aquarius born on February 14th. So I've always had like an idealistic sense of like, I want a family and I want a, a house on the water by the beach and like a wife and like go play tennis with my kids and stuff like that. I kind of saw like a faint glimpse of that picture uh, when I met her and she's like, we're, we've since separated. We're still amicable, you know, friends and all. Um, but you know, um, it, it was a, maybe a little premature of a decision back then. I kind of rushed into it. I met her and then four months later we were married basically. Um, yeah. But, uh, kinda, yeah. but I mean, a short while after I married her, I kind of, you know, let her know that I wanted, I'm trying to do something in my life. You know, I'm trying to get a start a business here or like, start something and she kind of helped me a little bit like explore things in India I got a place there and stuff and I couldn't really find anything and then I put out this piece of paper I had wrote in prison which was you know hair made in India the business plan for the hair I don't think I had to call it hair made in India it was just like the hair plan or something like that I still have the page today um, I started researching that and I put that together and made one Facebook post and all my like friends in high school all the girls were like what Rocky you have hair like hit us up holla at us like bring it through we'll shop with you we'll spend with you and I was like you know what I'm going to try it. Cause like her parents are traditional as well. They were like, you know, son, you don't have a career or job. Like how are you going to marry our daughter? You know, if you don't have anything, you know, you're not, what are you doing? I told them the whole business plan. This is what it's going to be. This is how I was going to make it work. And I teach tennis on the side, make 50 an hour easy. Uh, it'll be fine. And you know, that's, that's where it went. And, you know, we, we made it back to America together and we stayed, we were together for like about a year. You know, started fighting too much and we split up and got back together once and split up again. You know, we've been apart for about two and a half years, coming on three years now. Um, and that was a journey, man. I was, I was still, you know, taking backward steps. I was still every once in a while, you know, doing drugs I didn't need to be doing, smoking weed a lot, every single day, actually, um, during this whole growth time. And finally, I tore my ACL teaching tennis, and that was out of the window. Uh, and I had to dive into my business like 10 times harder. And, um, you know, she left a short time after that to split up with me. And when she really left again, it was like another time when I really got my things together. I really, like, I was drinking every day. I was in random bars in Hollywood, snorting cocaine in the bathroom, crazy stuff like that. And um, 
somehow, some way, I ended up finding an apartment studio downtown, even with a, a felony and no bank or no job history. They let me rent there by showing them a certain amount of money in my bank account, my business account, uh, and rent me rent it as a business. And that was my start again. My buddy, Sean, the only good best friend I have left in my life, my real true best friend, like amazing guy, shining light, very, very, very pure, conscious guy, uh, came and spent a little bit of time with me. Didn't try to teach me anything, didn't try to tell me to do anything. He just lived like himself with me for about a month or two. And we started yoga, meditation, reading, audio tapes, spiritual stuff, uh, going around. He showed me like the good, the good conscious vibe, the good healthy vibe around LA. And I started going to those places and started staying away from Hollywood, staying away from all the crazy places. And that was about four years ago. And that for this four years has been the biggest growth of growth that I didn't even think was imaginable. I didn't even know that this was possible in life. So 10 years ago, if you asked me like, would you ever see me doing things I'm doing today and talking the way I'm talking or reading when I'm reading and, and being around the people I'm around, I would laugh. I was like, I don't know who you think. I don't know who you think I am. Like, that's not me, you know, like not at all. But, um, you know, and the last four years as well, it's been, it's been some up and downs, you know, I've, I've taken backward steps as well, but like the most important thing now is like, I know when I take those steps, I feel it. I can feel my energy drain. I can feel that I'm doing something wrong. And I know that, okay, I know what to do now. Okay, Rocky, you know, get back by yourself, get some good food and get some good water in you, put some good stuff in your, in your ears, read something good, get back centered, ground yourself, disconnect a tiny bit, you know, get your foot away from your phone for a while. It'll all come back in a minute. It'll all come back. And it works now. You know, it doesn't take me longer than a couple hours to like really like reground myself when I'm really not feeling right or when I feel like I made bad choices, you know, the night before or whatever it is, you know. Would you say now you're taking the steps where if you have, if it's leading down that bad path in a way, you're not going into that direction with drugs and alcohol, but like you said, food, water, drink, uh, reading, disconnecting it's a much safer path you're taking that's not going to lead to the old style that you lived yeah i mean that style is done for me man like i, I did what i did and, and i mean when i made the, when i actually met my ex-wife that time like i made that decision i was like i'm not i'm not going back to, to i'm not going back to selling drugs i'm not going I, I said i'm never going to sell drugs again i never have since then i didn't ever tell myself i'd never not party and stuff like that and i have you know partied I enjoy life. I like to enjoy now. Like I try to do it a lot more responsibly than I ever did before. And I do uh, me parting 10 years ago for me parting a couple weekends ago is a totally different looking scene. <laughs> like the 180 flip literally. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's just uh, right now, like the amount of growth I've had personally and business wise, I'm just excited. Cause I'm just at the beginning of it, man. Like it's, it's like the last year or two years has really been a lot and I'm still heading down the same path. There's, I don't feel like there's, outside influences or factors or, or people no matter what it is even covid they can they can slow me down or stop me now because I, I believe in this in my heart I, I know it this to be true that if you live a certain way and if you put certain thoughts in your head and you continue with it that you'll get the results that you want what, what you want of a life exactly how you want it um and i know that now so it just I, i'm blessed but there is no looking back anymore you know there is no that that lifestyle is something i did someone i might have once been and some might have been part of me still um, but it's no longer the choices I make and the actions I take. Something we talk about on this show is learning from our past and the rise to the challenge of always, we have to go through stuff and overcome challenges and obstacles. And listening to your story, you definitely had those challenges, which caused a bunch of obstacles, but you've gone through them and you've rised up and now you're living a better life for yourself because you know that you have to look out for your future. Looking back at your time, is there anything that you would have done differently or maybe taken a, taken a different path that you would have done now? I don't think I would have done too much. I don't think I had, I don't think I could have done too much. Like I said earlier, I was like, I think everything kind of happened for a reason. As bad as some of it hurt, you know, as, as tough relationships that I went through, you know, I learned so much from them. You know, like, so I can't say I don't want to meet anybody. I can't say um, the situation in schools I went to is as hard as they were. Uh, they, they made me grow and give me the ability to share experience with, with other people and put a soft spot in my heart for kids and people going through it. So, I mean, if all that didn't happen, then, which is like a catch-22 for me because I want to help people not go through these things. <laughs> At the same time, these things are kind of like what, you know, made who I am, partly. So, um, no, nah, I mean, I can't really say there's anything that, there's one stock trade decision when I was when I was locked up that my dad made for me that I wish I had said no to. But. 
So what does the future look like for your businesses? What are you hoping to accomplish next with them? So we're constantly scaling right now. We've actually just implemented a $15,000 CRM system to enable us to better engage with and understand our clients. So we're having a massive influx of clientele right now. Um, my assistant Miranda, she's an amazing girl at since college as well. She's helped me implement that system. Our Beverly Hills showroom here is growing constantly. We have an amazing girl named Aquarius. She's been a client of mine for a couple of years. She works a showroom in here. I do the back-end work. We have a small team of marketing and, and, and you know, technology and back-end guys as well across the world. Uh, we're going to keep scaling. We're going to keep helping businesses grow. Uh, me personally, this is where my heart is, is helping people. And I realized when I started talking to my business clients, I was always scared to talk about prison and what I went through as a kid to my clients. I was like, oh, I'm going to lose business. My parents are like, you're going to lose business. Don't do it. Um, and I started talking a bit. And when I did, they were so inspired and motivated and so shocked to learn this about, you know, the guy they're doing business with. But they're like, I'll, I'll do business with you forever, Rocky. Like, I, I love that you shared this. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe I should tell everybody. Maybe I should share with everybody. Maybe I can help more people than just in my business and my field. And, and that's what I want to do. I want to be able to, to hop on a plane, uh, fly to South Africa, fly to India, have a meeting set up with a group of school kids, bring them food, cook with them, play around, talk to them if they can understand English or understand how I can speak and, and tell them a little bit. I went through a little bit about this rich American kid that ended up almost being dead and broke and poor and on the gutter and in prison, you know, that was able to overcome. So maybe they can get some, some laughs or some, some experience or some, some motivation from that as well. And yeah, that's, that's kind of like the direction of things. And um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm excited. I just know there's a lot more coming and I know that, it's all a process, it's all a journey. And, and for me, I finally understood that that's where the fun is. That's where the magic is, is the journey, like what tomorrow brings. And um, now I'm excited for that. I love what tomorrow brings. I used to, I used to not care about tomorrow. I used to care about tomorrow night. I sleep through the day, wake up for tomorrow night. That's about it. I think you hit our motto completely on the nail, where it's your real life stories, real motivations to inspire all generations. As you're willing to tell your story, to inspire other people to hopefully maybe get them off that track and hopefully find a better path or learn about the entrepreneurial side of you. Personally, you mentioned some of the stuff where you wanted to have a wife, a family, live on the beach. You're kind of on the beach. I don't know if you're exactly on the beach, but you're on the West Coast and East Coast as we talk. Are you personally finding those goals now or is it still a work in progress? So two months ago, um, towards like the middle of COVID, I was living in a loft downtown and, uh, you know, I had that place with my ex-wife. We've been separated for a long time now. I was kind of going through a bad stage again where I was waking up screaming, thinking she was there, thinking people in the apartment, crying, pulling my hair out, basically going halfway crazy. And um, finally, I was able to make the decision against my parents. I had to stop talking to them for a month because they loved that place down. They loved visiting me there to leave it. 1,400 square foot loft, Staples Center, downtown full of things, everything you could imagine inside of it. And I gave it all away. I gave it to the homeless. I gave it to a group, a housing group and my suits, my shoes, my bedding, my clothes, my towels, my sheets, my pillows, all the other food I had in there, I gave everything away. Um, and I moved into a co-living house um, called Podshare um, in Venice Beach with 20 other random roommates. And um I was looking for friendship. I was looking for communication. Obviously, like, like I said, I'm a crazy February 14th. I was looking for love. Um, and man, all that has came to me. I, with a beautiful girl right now, it's my girlfriend. And, you know, we've only met a couple months ago, but we're really aligned on a lot of things. She does like creative work, podcasting. Uh, you know, she does all kind of writing and uh, journaling and listens to the same kind of things I listen to. She wants to be a life coach and an author as well. Um, and that's a blessing. Like I just, I, I didn't, at the point in time when I got there to Podshare, I was like, I had to stop looking, but I was like, you know, it's not going to happen. Just, just do your Rocky, do your business, like, and see what, see what comes, see what comes, and try to make a good friend or two. And I, you know, I had that, all that and more. The, the amount of stuff just came back to me in, in the form of, like, love, people, even business, and, and actually money, since I've given that stuff away and just kind of let go of that, that weight on my shoulders is, is just crazy. It's uh, actually crazy. For the industry that you're in with being an entrepreneur and having your businesses, what tips or advice would you give someone to rise to their challenge to exceed in that area? Um, in my in my business specifically, like, you know, like say wholesale wise, you know, of, of products and, and B2B business. Um, the biggest thing is um, speaking in a business sense is, is definitely organization, uh, having your systems in order, 
uh, you know, your, your sales, your, your capturing your lead system, your marketing systems, your, your backend fulfillment systems. Uh, I didn't do it the right way in the beginning. I kind of stumbled around, which is why it took me a good bit longer than most people. Uh, but I learned it very thoroughly. Um, and that, that part is very huge. Um, the second part is um, what people try to really divide um, personal life and business life. Uh, as entrepreneurs, as, you know, businessmen, businesswomen, uh, I think that's a bit of a mistake. I think that our business and our personal lives are much more intertwined and connected than we think they are. And the more you work on yourself, the more good you do to yourself, the more you feed yourself positivity and, and knowledge and things like that, um, the more your business will grow. And it might sound weird, but it's magic. Like, watch it happen. I know this to be true. Um, I've witnessed it myself. Um, so yeah, those are, I guess, the two, the two biggest, like, biggest type of pointers I can give. But other than that, it's a journey, man. Like, you might have a, a beginning and an end right here. But the line is not going to be straight. There's going to be all kind of flowing in between, up and down, left and right. Um, you know, you, you figure out what you want a, a little bit. Um, get that vision direction in your head and start going that way. And it doesn't have to be very specific. Like, it doesn't have to be like, I want to do X and X and X. It can be a little bit vague in the beginning. Don't, don't stretch yourself. I didn't know in the beginning what I wanted to look like. I've only recently started to say, you know what, I want to be, I want to be walking around speaking. I want to be helping people. I want to be going this business at the same time. And I want to do that traveling the world. Um, and now I finally got more specific on it. I even have specific numbers and goals that I've actually been hitting now. Uh, but it didn't start like that. It was kind of vague. I was just like, I want to do better than yesterday. I definitely want to do better than yesterday than last week. And I want to be heading this way in sales. And I don't want to be feeling like this anymore. You know, like those, those things are totally okay. You don't have to make a, a goal. Like they say, you know, make smart goals, like the systematic accountable goals, but which is a great system, but um, start where you need to start. I started in very vague, funny places where I was just like, I'm going to try it. And another big thing is I do, I started doing this like five, four or five years ago. I do at least 10 minutes, one thing every single day for at least 10 minutes, which is working on my business. It started out with 10 minutes. Now it's, who knows? I don't even know how to count it anymore. But it started out with just 10 minutes. I had to force myself to do something on the business, like something proper, something progressive on it. And not only does that slowly, slowly get the snowball effect for your business, it builds a confidence within you. And let yourself, your body know, like, hey, you're doing something, you're accountable to this, you're, you're making it, you're slowly getting better. And I really am a firm believer that progress does equal happiness. Like, when you're progressing on a daily basis internally, externally, business-wise, like, it does slowly, slowly lead to happiness. I think you mentioned something like personal sacrifices in a way where you kind of take those negative, negative things out of your life. And I've definitely... During this time with the pandemic, it's definitely given me a time to do a lot of self-reflection in a way and kind of see what's important to me, like who is important to me and what do I need to do to make me a little, feel better in a way. And I'm hitting everything that I want to do. I think I'm at that stage right now where I'm happy, I'm excited to get up every day, I'm excited for what's next, who am I interviewing next, what's getting posted, what, well, most of the stuff that we read on the internet, but like the positive things that are happening nowadays. And that's what this whole show is about is everyone has a story. Everyone has a path or a journey. We all have learned the road that we've taken, but we're all getting to that outcome that we want and definitely seeing you. And from what we talked about 20 minutes ago to where we are, it's a completely 180 that has happened, but if you didn't go through those things, it may have not been how it is today. And you're definitely learning from everything that you've done so far. So it's exciting. It's exciting to see. The final question I have for you, based on your journey, for someone that's listening to this interview, what tips or advice would you give someone to overcome their challenges, to achieve their goals, and to rise to the challenge? Um, first of all, I would say face your fears. Um, I was talking about this earlier today about how, um, you know, we all have these fears built up in us and it's something I try to do now whenever I can is if I'm scared of something, try it, do it, face it head on nine times out of 10. It's not as big as you thought it was. Um, so that, that's a big one right there. Um, and then I would say, um, you know, if you have challenges in a way if you have, usually they come from a lot of, a lot of, uh, diving into the external world and, 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 and information coming into you and making you worried or scared or hesitant disconnect from all that just for a little bit of time you don't need to go to india like i did you just need to like just even once a day go find time a couple hours 20 minutes be by yourself and just sit there and just and just reflect on yourself and 
and uh, disconnect and, and kind of really understand it and get in tune with what you're saying. And then third, get rid of the distractions in your life. The music, the TV shows, the movies, the people, the foods, the, the addictions, whatever is, is, is in your life that's distracting you, that could be bringing you down, let go of it. And if it's hard for you to do, you know, get some help, get some support with it. Um, and at the same time, don't be tough on yourself. Doing it. You know, be gentle with yourself and, and go on your, own, uh, on your own path. You know, like, I think, I don't remember who said the quote, but like, this healing that we do, this learning that we're, this growing that we're doing, it's not um, like a race. There's not a straight line. It's more like a dance. You know, it's delicate. Um, there'll, there'll be ups and downs, highs and lows in it. Um, and, and learn to appreciate that. That's part of life and that's part of the magic and the journey. So accept that, love it. I wish the one thing, if you asked me earlier, I asked that, I wish I didn't do so much of or could have changed. I wish I wouldn't have worried so much about what it was going to be. I wish I wouldn't have had so much worry and stress about it, you know, like, um, because that, that worry and stress can kill you, you know, and I worried a lot back then. And now I have times when I do, and I'm just like, you know, man, as some of my girlfriend says a lot, she's like, says, if, if not, if not this, then something better. And that's true, man. I, I smile whenever that happens. It shows it to you. If you say it every once in a while, it'll happen. All of a sudden, you're like, what? It, it happened. It's not this. and something better came. Like, so those are the couple of things I would say that, you know, really, really put in there and, and try. And then, and then once again, reach out, man, to people like you, people like me. Uh, this is the kind of stuff that we do. We love doing and we love sharing and helping. And I'm always available. I answer my phone. Um, reach out on my website, my phone number. I'm sure you know, you'll be able to share the links and stuff like that. Um, and if not me, go to YouTube. Uh, go listen to these guys, Ralph Smart, Paulo Coelho, um, you know, Tim Ferriss. You know, there's a lot of people out there with a lot of good information that's free on YouTube. Just go check them out and, and start tuning, tuning into that stuff. Well, Rocky, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. We all definitely have learned a lot about your journey. And we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms. And make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to see the full-length episodes in video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.